Well, as I said earlier, we have a guest preacher this morning. Johnny, you can come on over here. Um, so this is the Reverend Dr. John Ed Matheson. And um, John Ed has been around for a while. 80, 81? 81 years. 81 years old. Now, I don't know if y'all know this. This is unlike a lot of other professions. In the Methodist Church, uh, they have mandatory retirement. So they, they make you stop working at some point. And so John Ed hit mandatory retirement a little while back. And they said, look, you, you got to stop working. He said, no, I'm still feeling called by God to reach people for Jesus Christ. And so for the last decade, he has continued traveling around the world, um, teaching, training pastors, reaching new people for Christ. And John Ed, so he started at Fraser Memorial United Methodist Church in Montgomery when it was a small church. You said it was just you. We didn't have this many people the first no. Sunday. Yeah, didn't have that many people. You and a part-time person. And then over time, that church grew to over 9,000 members. Um, one of the first mega churches in, in Methodism, for sure. And at one point had the largest Sunday school attendance in all of America in Methodist churches. Um, he's written 11 books, went to Young Harris College, Emory um, in Atlanta, and then on at Princeton. Um, he has so many accolades, so many books, so many other things. But what I love about John Ed is he doesn't, he doesn't care about any of that. He is humble. He wouldn't say any of this stuff himself. Um, but God has used him in great ways and is still using him in great ways, mentoring uh, the next generation like me. And um, one, one cool thing he shared with me this morning is, you know, John Ed recently preached at the largest Methodist church in the country. Um, I, I don't even know, 20,000 plus members out in Kansas. And then the next Sunday preached at a church that had four in average attendance. <laughs> so uh, he, he, he's just going wherever he's invited to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And he has um, helped lead some of my friends to Christ. I've, I've heard him preach many times at camp meeting. And um, we've invited you here because we know that you're going to inspire us. You're able to relate to people across all sorts of generations and divides. And we're, we're just grateful for you sharing with us this morning, John. Ed. Thank you, Jonathan. You did that just like I wrote it for you. I appreciate it. Hey, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for letting me be at Harvest. I've heard about this church. I've known your pastor. I'm a great, great fan of his, and, and I'm just privileged. And he's the bravest pastor I know. Did you pay careful attention to the announcements a moment ago? You could never do in Alabama what he said. He said, would you please take that connection card and write a question you'd like answered? And if nobody writes a question, we won't have a sermon that Sunday. It'll be all music. You do that in my church and nobody would write a single question because the music is far better. Hey, it wasn't the music good this morning. If you enjoyed that and appreciate it, thank you so much. And, and for the privilege of being here. Now, I, I'm very conscious of the time. Uh, preacher was preaching one day and he'd preached much too long and a little boy was sitting on the front row and he said to his daddy, daddy, When's he going to be through? He said, son, he's been through a long time. He just hadn't quit yet. <laughs> now, what I want to do is get through and quit at the same time. I say to you, sort of like Elizabeth Taylor said to her sixth husband, I'm not going to keep you long. <laughs> but to help sort of guide along, if you'll take your bulletin, there's an outline in the bulletin, and I plan to follow it. There's a suggested scriptures I hope that you might take this home and reflect on it. And also, one of the things I've discovered in doing ministry 
is that there are different ways to do ministry. And I've just discovered the power of social media. I didn't grow up in that age. I didn't even know anything about it. It really hadn't worked too well for me. I drink smart water. I have a smartphone. And I'm not any smarter yet in doing that. But social media reaches people. Now, if you look at the bottom, one of the things, I, three things I've started doing. Number one is that uh, I do a one-minute weekly video message every week. It comes out on Monday morning. I started doing this about a year ago. It's professionally done, and I thought nobody's going to watch that. The very first one that came out, over 20,000 people watched it. And we've been right around that. And my ministry just made a big investment last month, and we're going to greatly expand that. If you'd like to watch it, it tells you how you can do it. You can just text. It's called Got a Minute. They're all a minute long. Now, if you don't like to watch but want to read something, I write a blog each week. About eight or ten newspapers in Alabama carry it, and uh, we, take, we send out by email several thousand of them. If you'd like to get it, it comes out on Wednesday. It shows you how you can text it if you'd like to get it. If you don't like it, you can just unsubscribe. You don't have to keep getting it. And then also, if you don't like to watch or read but want to listen to something. Now, I've got a lot of friends that can't read, so I try to do something they can listen to. So every day, I do a one-minute, got-a-minute, devotional thought on several radio stations in Alabama, but we also put it on Facebook and podcast so that anybody can get it. There are two different folks I know right in this area who have businesses, and they've told me, hey, we, we get that every day, and before we go to work, one is a dentist, we get all of our people together, and we listen to the got-a-minute, we talk about it for a couple of minutes, five minutes to late, and then we have a prayer together and we go to work. So if you'd like to utilize one of those, that's just some information of some of the things that I'm trying to do. If you'll take your outline now, and I'm going to walk through very quickly what I think is something that might be apropos for your church and for you. I don't, I don't know what you're going through. Don't know what the future of your church is. But I do know this, that whenever a church starts to grow, folks start saying, y'all can't do that. And a lot of folks listen to the naysayers. I'd like to just suggest we need to nix the naysayers because God can do anything. And I'd like to focus this morning on how God can redefine what is possible. Now let's pray for a moment. Father, Thank you for this church. Thank you for the privilege of being here. Thank you for Jonathan and his leadership. Thank you for the lay leaders. And oh God, this next few minutes, may I be open to all that you want to say to me and say through me, and may your word be what we hear and understand, but most importantly, we act on. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Not long ago, there was a young guy who looked at Mount Kilimanjaro. You'll see a picture of it here. It's the highest freestanding mountain in the world. A lot of good athletes have been unable to climb it. A lot of good mountain climbers had not been able to. It's a very strenuous trip. There's a young guy named Spencer West who decided that he wanted to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Others couldn't do it. 
The interesting thing about Spencer is this. He doesn't have any legs. When he was a baby, he had a spinal disorder. They had to amputate both legs. And he just decided he wanted to climb that mountain. And he did. When he did what other folks couldn't do, they asked him, why did you do it? And this was his statement. I wanted to see if God could use me to redefine what is possible. Now, I love that phrase. Can God use me? Can God use you? Can God use Harvest Church to redefine what is possible? And in the outline, I want to focus on a story in Mark 9. There, a man had a little boy that had been possessed by demons. The doctors hadn't been able to help him. Nobody had given him any help. He finally comes to Jesus and has an encounter with him. And in that encounter, I want you to notice three things that are applicable in my life, in your life, and in any church. Because all of a sudden, Jesus redefined what is possible. Now, what do you need today to be redefined? That might be impossible, but could be possible. The first thing I want you to look at is the problem. You see this in verse 22. When the man came to Jesus, he said, Oh, the demons often make him fall into the fire or the water. Have mercy on us and do something. And look at this phrase. If you can. Now, friends, that's a problem. To come into the presence of Almighty God and say, Now, God, if you can. You see, God can redefine what is possible. I love being a pastor. One of the things we did at Fraser was start a little preschool kindergarten. And the thing grew and grew. We got to where we had over 400 children, four-year-olds and five-year-olds in weekday kindergarten. Every Friday morning, they had a little chapel service. It was an unapologetically Christian kindergarten. And they invited me. Brother Jonathan, nobody at Frazier appreciated my musical ability except the four- and five-year-olds. They invited me to come and to do the music. And every Friday morning at 10 o'clock, they wanted me to lead a song and they wanted to sing the same song every Friday. And we did it for 25 years. Had motions to it. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. And it talks about the mountains and the valleys and the power of God. And then it comes back to that refrain. My God is so big. They throw up their arms. In fact, I expect you could probably hear it on a Friday morning. About 10 o'clock, God's time, central time. If you would just listen very carefully, because they bellow it out. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing, nothing, nothing my God cannot do. You know what's interesting? I was in the grocery store recently, and I was walking down an aisle, and a couple of guys about 30 years old started walking down the aisle. As soon as they saw me, they threw up their arms like that. <laughs> I was in Nashville speaking, and a couple of uh, ladies they came around the back of the car. As soon as they saw me, they threw up their arms. I mean, that's the way I want to be remembered. My God is so big. Now, how big is your God? What can your God do? Do you and I ever think this is a hopeless situation? I had a funeral Friday for a man who was an alcoholic and had become addicted to gambling. You know what everybody told him 20 years ago? You don't have any hope. 
You can't break that cycle. And we sat down and we talked together and prayed together. And I said, God can redefine what is possible. And He can cure you and He can change your life. And He very humbly knelt down and prayed and asked for God's forgiveness and surrendered His life to God. And He said, now God, I want to be with you and let's do the impossible together. And guess what? From that time forward, he never had another drink or never bet on anything. Because everybody said, you can't do it. But all of a sudden, God redefined what was possible. Let me suggest to you. When you got a problem, don't kneel down and pray and say, God, I got a big problem. You tell your problem what a big God you have. Because God is bigger than any problem that we face. Now, you've got a great future in front of you. Just driving out here this morning. There are people everywhere. What God can do in this church is unlimited. Can He use you? You're going to have folks, always those nights that you can't do it. You can't do it. I've got a good friend who's, uh, I do a lot with coaches and coaches conferences. Uh, he was a backup quarterback for Seattle a couple of years ago and was a starting quarterback for Minnesota for a couple of years. And Tavares was telling me about Derek Coleman that played with the Seattle Seahawks. He said, John Ed, let me tell you, Derek, when he was a little boy, uh, became deaf. And he wanted to play football. And you know what everybody told him? You can't do that. But he did. When he got into high school, he wanted to play. They said, you can't play, you're deaf. In fact, he had to wear two hearing aids. He said, other kids that wore glasses, they called them four eyes. They called me four ears. And they laughed at me. But he did. He wanted to play college. They told him you can't, but he did. He wanted to play pro ball. They said you can't, but he did. And one day he was interviewed and asked this question. When everybody told you you couldn't do it, how did you react to that, Derek? He just thought a minute, looked at him and said, I'm deaf, I couldn't hear them. <laughs> and I thought they were all encouraging me. So I just went forward with it. Let me tell you, anything that God gives you as a church, God's going to put in a vision in the hearts and minds of this church. And as you start to move forward, folks are going to say, y'all can't do that. Don't listen to them. Nix all the naysayers and trust the God who can redefine the possible. Now, this is a problem. God, if you can. But now let me tell you about a problem. There's always a prescription that will solve a problem. And you see that right in verses 18 and 19. What is the prescription to whatever problem we face? The man said, I begged your disciples to cast out the demons, but they couldn't do it. So Jesus said, what little faith you have. How much longer must I be with you until you believe? And then look at this phrase. Here's a prescription. Bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. When you got a problem, don't take it to somebody that can't solve it. Bring it to Jesus because he can solve any problem. Part of our problem in society, a friend says, well, you know, I got this problem. Well, let me tell you, you need this book to read or that book to read. You don't need to read it. <clears throat> what you really need is to bring your problem to Jesus. He can solve that problem. I always have enjoyed sports. 
paid my way through college with basketball and played competitive tennis for a lot of years. About 20 years ago, I started having trouble with my left hip. And I went to a doctor, orthopedic surgeon, and he said, let me tell you, uh, looks like we're going to have to replace it. I said, now, what do you think caused it? He said, well, it could have been this, it could have been that, you could have fallen, it could have been hereditary. He said, but it's probably your age. I said, wait a minute. This hip is the same age as this hip, and there's nothing wrong with this one. Now, about that same time, my car wouldn't crank sometimes. Now, he was a Methodist preacher, had a bad car and a bad hip. Now, what do you do with those two things? Let me tell you. I found somebody that could fix both of them and carried it to them. I didn't carry my car to an orthopedic surgeon. And I didn't carry my hip to a mechanic. In our lives and in our churches, oftentimes, we carry what we think is wrong to somebody that can't fix it. Can I announce to you that there's one person that can fix anything? That's Almighty God and His Son, Jesus Christ. You hear a lot today, well, is Jesus really the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. You trust him. Now, there's some good things that can be helpful. But the thing that will ultimately heal is change is possible is to bring it to Jesus. I had an interesting experience in Montgomery uh, as a church group. We received a fine young couple. My wife and I became friends with them. He trains pilots for JetBlue Airlines. His office is in New York, but they live in Montgomery because he wanted to come home to church all the time on the weekends. And when he was getting ready to retire, and I was about at that time too, he said, uh, before I leave New York, I got all these perks in New York. Why don't you and Lynn come with Laura and me, and we'll go to New York and spend a few days. Man, when my wife found that out, she was ready to go the next day. <laughs> so we went to New York. We were going to be there for three nights. We decided to let the women decide what to do one night. The men would decide what to do one night. And then jointly we would decide. Well, the women decided the first night and we went to see a play. The men decided the second night and we saw the Yankees play. The third night, they said, we all did, why don't we go eat at some restaurant in New York? And Lanny said, look, you pick any restaurant you want. I can get reservations at any restaurant. And so they picked out one that they had heard about. In fact, I read last week, uh, last month, that it was voted the number one restaurant in America. It's 11 Madison or something like that. At any rate, we went to it. Now, let me tell you, I made the biggest mistake I've made in 40 years. On the way to the restaurant, I just said, Lanny, we're having a blast. Thank you for doing all this for us. I said, tonight, the meal's on me. Now, now, that's a mistake. <laughs> don't, don't ever do that in New York City. Especially when you get in there and you look at the menu and there are no prices out there. And you can't even read what the stuff is. You got to have somebody help you go ahead and make your order. Well, I'd committed, so we, we went ahead and made our order. And finally, when the food came, it wasn't very good. But I mean, <clears throat> let me say this. When I saw the bill... 
I don't know what your indebtedness is, but it would have paid off the indebtedness of this whole place right here, probably. <laughs> and so when the waiter brought the bill and handed it to me, I said, I'll take that. You know, big shot from Montgomery, Alabama. And I took it. <laughs> I reached in my pocket and took out my card and gave it to him. And he laughed. And he didn't come back for three or four or five minutes. And I thought he had run off with my card. And I looked over in the corner, and all the waiters were over there sort of in a huddle. And they were smiling. The guy came back over and walked over to the table and said, Dr. Matheson, welcome to New York City. But he said, here in this restaurant, we don't take Blue Cross Blue Shield to pay for a meal. <laughs> now, now, let me tell you something. My Blue Cross Blue Shield card is good if I go to the hospital. It's good if I go to the doctor. It's fairly good if I go to the drugstore. But it's not worth anything at a restaurant. Let me tell you, there's only one person, only one person that can redefine what is possible, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the prescription. Jesus just said to the man, hey, bring the boy to me. And then notice the last thing. You have a problem. You have a prescription for that problem. And then look at the last thing. What are the possibilities? What are the possibilities? Verses 23 and 24. If I can, Jesus asked. Now what's the next three words? Anything is possible. Would you say that with me? Would you say it again? If you have faith, and the man replied, I do have faith, oh, help me to have more. Let me ask you, let me ask you, do, do you believe that? Yes. Do you believe that nothing is impossible with God? Do you believe that God can redefine? Your church has got a future. What are you going to dream? How big are you going to dream? How big? We're going to celebrate something this next week. Fifty years ago, a young boy, well, it was about 60 years ago that President John F. Kennedy said one night on national television, by the end of this de decade, we're going to put a man on the moon. You know what everybody did? They laughed at him. They said, you can't do that. But he knew that the possible could be redefined. About that time, there was a high school senior who took his science teacher out of the graduating line to the front porch of the gymnasium, put one arm around his shoulder and with the other hand pointed up to the sky and said, Teach, someday I'm going to put a foot on that moon. And Neil Armstrong went home and went to bed with that dream. And all of a sudden, the dream of a high school senior and a president came together in the 60s. And he committed himself, became an astronaut, and this next Saturday, we're going to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the first person to ever touch the moon. Impossible? Everybody said impossible. Hey, but somebody believed that it was possible. And we'll celebrate it next Saturday. Don't let anybody tell you that something's impossible. If God is in it, he can redefine what possible means. Let me conclude with just two quick illustrations here that I've been engaged in in my life. Uh, I didn't realize that a fella is a good friend of Jonathan's, Chase Fisher. 
I used to go over every week to the large school there and meet with the football team and the athletic teams every week and give a devotional. There were a couple of guys who played ball, and about eight or nine years ago, they called me. They were brothers, and they said, could we meet with you? I said, sure. They said, thank you for coming over to the football team. And uh, you used to say, and they started telling me stuff I'd said that I didn't even remember saying. And they remembered a lot more than anybody in my congregation. And they said, you talked about a dream, and you talked about redefining the possible. And you talked about, I said, no, we've got a dream. Inner city boys in Montgomery don't have a chance. 60% of them drop out of school before they reach the seventh grade. Most of them wind up in jail. And the death rate because of murder is high. We want to do something about it. We want to start a school and give inner city boys a chance. You know what my first thought was? Do you know what you're asking? But I didn't dare let them know that. I said to them, hey, dream big. God can do anything. They believed it more than I did. But I said, I'll support you. And we started to work on it some. Chase Fisher was one of the people that got involved. They started it about four years ago. Sixth graders, 30 of them. Then the next year, 30 more. The next year, 30 more. They've got now 120 boys, and they'll begin this next school year with 140 boys, or 150. They've actually added some. Do you know how many of those kids have dropped out? 60% of their peer group had. You know how many of them have dropped out? Zero. You know how many of them have been arrested? Zero. These two boys, the Brock brothers, well, if you go back to the other picture for just a moment here, uh, they, here they are. They meet every day. It's a Christian disciplined school. And they quote scripture, and the whole idea is rise above. They have the, what they call the a village out front on Dexter Avenue, interestingly, right across the street's a federal building. And a lot of folks come out and just watch. People from all over the country have come because of the success of what's happening in that inner city. See how nicely they're dressed? They're disciplined. They pray together. They ask them, how many of you are students? Not a guy raises his hand. How many of you are scholars? Every hand goes up. They're instilling in them that God has something special in their life. And it is a miracle that is happening. You know what everybody said to them? You can't do that. And they just said, we want to see if God can redefine the possible. And he's doing it. You want something to pray about? It's called Valiant Cross Academy. Google it today. And just look at their website. And you'll be amazed. In my opinion, it's the finest educational model anywhere in the state of Alabama. And there are people trying to copy it in other places. God redefined the possible for the Brock brothers. And Chase is on the board. And I have the privilege of serving on the board of directors. And boy, we got big plans for this year. Let, let me tell you, th th they're disciplined. If you don't get it by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you stay till 6 o'clock. If you don't get it in five days at school, you come back Saturday. And one of the problems we encounter now is a lot of them don't want to go home because hardly a man in a family at home, and a lot of the mothers are not. And the kids just want to stay at school. 
and learn. God's redefining the possible. And then one other picture you had there. One of the things I've been engaged in in the last few years is a billion soul initiative. Uh, Dr. Bill Bright, who was head of Campus Crusade, called me. I was a Methodist that he knew, and he said, I want you to participate in a mission. I said, Dr. Bright, I'll do anything you want to do. You tell me what to do. He said, well, I have a vision, get this, to start five million churches and win one billion new believers by 2020. I thought he had his math wrong. I thought he was confused. But we started it 15 years ago. Next year is 2020. Can I say too that we're at about 95% of both of those goals around the world? And it's mostly around the world. Yes, sir. Okay. God is redefining what is possible. Part of my responsibility has been India. And I've been five times. I have 3,000 pastors in India that I meet with and talk with and train. Now, the church has just exploded. I, I preach there in this church in Chennai. It's not a very big church. It's 24, 25 years old. You know how many folks they have on Sunday morning? They average about 46,000 people every Sunday morning. And now they've gone outside to build a sanctuary. They'll seat 60,000 folks. Now, let me tell you, God put a vision. You know, everybody would say in America, you can't do that. But God has redefined what is possible. Let's give you one quick example. When I was there last, they have an interpreter. Most of the pastors can speak English. And uh, I asked them, what have you done in the last six months? Hey, it's not uncommon for them to say in the last six months, well, we've planted uh, eight churches and baptized 700 folks. I mean, that's just commonplace over there. They don't know you can't do it. And one of the associate pastors that was with me there was sort of interpreting. He said, ask that guy over there about his church. So, so I asked him, I said, tell me about your church. How old is it? He said, well, we're about seven years old. I said, ask him about their building. How many do they run? He said, well, right now we're running about 40,000, 50,000 people. Now, that's seven years old. And they decided they wanted to build a building. They want to seat 40,000 people and have multiple services. Wow. And then he said, now ask him about the building. Now listen to me because you're not going to believe this. i tell you up front. But they believed it and they did it. They wanted to build a building and seat 40,000 people. They were studying Nehemiah. The guy's right there in the picture. Studying Nehemiah. And they said, Nehemiah rebuilt the wall in how many days? 52. You know what they were dumb enough to say? If God could do it for Nehemiah, why can't he do it for us in India? And they said, we're going to build a building in 52 days. Guess what? On the 53rd day, they moved into an auditorium that seats 40,000 people. And there wasn't room for everybody. Now, you talking about impossible? God redefined the possible. And what does he want to redefine in your life? What does he want you to do? Personally, in this church, 
Spencer West climbed Mount Kilimanjaro because he didn't believe in the impossible. God redefined it. What are the possibilities? A man was fishing one day and wasn't catching anything. Another guy was fishing and he was catching fish galore. But every time he caught a fish, he pulled out his foot-long ruler and measured it. If the fish was bigger than the ruler, longer, he threw it back. If it was smaller, he kept it. The man never saw anybody fish like that, so he paddled over and said, tell me, why do you measure every fish, and if it's more than a foot long, you throw it back? And if it's less, you keep it. Why do you do that? The guy said, it's simple. He said, my frying pan's only 12 inches in <laughs> diameter. The man said, you need to get a bigger frying pan. I just want to ask you, Harvest, how big's your frying pan? How big are the possibilities? And would you be willing to get a bigger one in what God can do? God can redefine the possible. Now let us pray. Right now, is God placing something in your mind, in your life, that you need to turn over to Him and trust completely? Would you just do that? Take it to him. Bring the boy to me. And I want to ask you right now for, for your church for harvest. Where's the church going to be in five years? Fifteen years? What can God do out here? How big are you willing to dream? Oh God, you can redefine what is possible. May we submit that to you. I pray in the awesome, awesome name of your son Jesus. Amen.